Hello again and welcome to this week's episode of Knowing God with Heart and Mind. It's our virtual church classroom podcast presented each week by Shiloh United Methodist Church in Jasper, Indiana and hosted by yours truly, Pastor Dan, with the help of my wonderful daughter, Bethany. Each week we're studying the Bible together with you and our goal is knowing God's heart and mind with our heart and mind. As we enter into this week's study, we want to remember that this is episode 22 of the Revelation Bible study that uh, Bethany and I have been working our way through for quite some time. Uh, This is a visit to the book of Revelation with the goal of simply taking the text as it appears. This week's episode will take a slight deviation from the Revelation text to talk about the 70 weeks prophecy of the book of Daniel. So we're going to talk a little bit about the book of Daniel, but first let's worship together and care for each other with prayer. Today's psalm reading is probably the most familiar psalm reading and for many the most familiar Bible passage and it is the 23rd psalm a psalm of david the lord is my shepherd i shall not be in want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside quiet waters he restores my soul he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. could not be said any better Lord Jesus you are the father of our salvation you are the means of our grace you are the shepherd who provides all that we could ever want or need oh God we give you mercy today and thanksgiving today for your mercies we give you thanksgiving for your great mercies and we ask Lord that you forgive us our many failings the beautiful thing is is that you have given us peace with you through jesus christ and you are the one who provides for us all of our needs everything we can imagine and things we don't even even take into consideration 
and yet it's all provided by you as the psalmist says so that we might be at peace with you Lord Jesus you are Yahweh in the flesh the author of our salvation and the grantor and the price paid you are the King of Kings the Lord of Lords and we are so grateful to you Lord for everything you do and we praise you this day as we seek to know you better through your word this prophecy that we're about to look at is hard Lord so help us with your wisdom from the Holy Spirit we pray amen This is episode 22 of the Revelation Bible Study, and this is a special episode that is going to cover uh, a little bit of the prophecy that's found in the ninth chapter of Daniel, what is known as the 70 weeks of Daniel. Um, and Bethany's here with me. What we're going to try to do is... is uh, see if we can explain in the next several minutes why all this ties together and in particular how it pertains to what we're going to read next in Revelation when we come back together next time. This uh, recording is made originally on September 9th, 2018 and uh, we just finished watching a disappointing football game and now we're in here ready to... Uh, put all that worldliness behind us and get into the word of God. So Bethany, let go of your mad about the football game and let's give him Jesus. I will do my best. <laughs> okay, so so there's a lot of information out there about this stuff and this can be confusing and so even though I've said all along that our goal is just to read the book of Revelation and take it as it comes. I also have to take a couple of critical correlating passages from other books into account in order to make all of this more sensible for us. So, so yes, I'm sticking to my mission of reading Revelation as it's given, but I can also so, show you in the next few minutes, I hope, how these things tie together um, and how it's easier to understand what we're about to read from Revelation because we studied Daniel. So, I mean, that's the goal, all right? But in order to understand what Daniel says, we have to go to what Jesus says, all right? So I want to begin with the Gospel of Matthew. Now, there is this conversation that Jesus has with the disciples and um it's only made clear in one of the accounts that this is only Peter, James, John, and Andrew, that it isn't actually a public discourse, even though 
it is sometimes referred to as the Olivet Discourse. It really wasn't. It was more of a private conversation that Jesus was having with a couple of his closest friends. And he had been explaining uh, certain things about the end times and, and the changes that were going to come. And then as he was talking with his friends privately after the public meeting, they said, Jesus, explain to us, you know, what does this really mean? And the best accounting that we have is the one from Matthew, which shouldn't surprise us because Matthew, after all, was a customs agent. That's where he came from. He was he was a tax collector, but technically a customs agent who, you know, whose job it was to make detailed records of the transfer of commerce from one region to another. And uh, so uh, his contemporaries would have been uh, gifted with uh, the skill of of shorthand. And so we believe that the reason Matthew is often the more detailed of the Gospels, of the synoptics, we call them, the three that seem to, to, to correlate with each other almost word for word in some cases. But anyway, he's, he tends to be a little more detailed because of his ability to write in uh, shorthand. So I'd ask Bethany right now to start by reading Matthew chapter 24 starting at verse 15 and I'd like you to take it all the way to verse 22. Okay. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Okay, um, so the first thing you hear that's really important to note is in verses 15 and 16, Jesus says, read the book of Daniel. Mm -hmm. You know, he says that he, he is giving Daniel uh, a, an unprecedented credibility because this is Jesus, the Son of God, the, the, essentially the author of the Bible, who's saying... Pay attention to Daniel because he is telling you when this is going to happen. And so they've asked him, you know, Jesus, how do we, you know, what's it going to be like? How are we going to know when these times are coming? And Jesus says, well, your first clue is, is read Daniel because Daniel is telling you what's going to happen. And uh, then he begins to describe how that, uh, that the trigger event for the great tribulation, the trigger event that says it is now officially all hell breaking loose is when you look to the temple and you see the abomination of desolation. Uh, what is an abomination of desolation? Well, it happened once before when the Greeks were in control of the temple and they set up, uh, they put uh, uh, false gods or Greek gods in the temple. And they basically converted the temple of, of Israel, the Jerusalem temple, to Yahweh. 
into a abomination. They they violated it in the most vile way, and uh, and this was the trigger to what was called the Maccabean Rebellion. So so it was a really horrible time uh, that kind of goes unknown and and unthought of by most Christians because our Bible doesn't really tell it. But if your Bible happens to have the five apocryphal or five happens to have the apocryphal books in it, it's not actually five. Um, it tells of these things, and and yet it these are books that that are are considered of value, but not part of the Bible canon. So, so basically, Jesus is saying, read the book of Daniel, and you'll get a sense of the timing of these things. And keep your eye on the temple. So there are two really important lessons that Jesus is telling us here. That, number one, Daniel has an important message that ties into this story. And if we don't read that, we're missing some important element that Jesus told us to look at. The other thing that Jesus is telling us that's really important is is that Israel is God's timepiece. If you want to understand what God is doing and how God is doing it in the grander scheme of things, in the, in the way beyond your personal life, you look at Israel. Because what you see happening to Israel and related to Israel is your sign of what the, the God's timeline is. Israel is the, the marker that you want to watch. So now we need to take a look at that passage in Daniel. So if you'll dial up um, Daniel starting uh, chapter 9, I would uh, ask you to read uh, some of that for me, if you would. Just uh, We'll start with verses 1 to 19 of Daniel chapter 9. And I'll just tell you that uh, it's important. Well, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. Just let's go ahead and hear that first. 1 to 19, please. Chapter 9? Yep. Okay. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who loves him and obey his commands, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes and fathers, are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. 
Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. But as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to the truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your ears and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Okay. Now, Daniel is saying that he's been reading Jeremiah, Mm -hmm. and he realizes that the 70 years of Babylonian captivity are about up. And so this drives him to his knees, and he prays. And I guess there's a really important lesson for us because, you know, Daniel's one of the very few people that you find in the Bible that has nothing negative ever said about him. Daniel is a hero. This is a guy who gets no bad press in the Bible. And Daniel is doing something we should all do. He's reading scripture and then praying about it. And he's praying to God. He says, you know, I realize our time's about up. And, and I, I'm hoping that you're going to let us go back now. You're going to let, and he's not saying this as though he thinks he's going back because he's an old man now. He was taken as a young boy and now he's an old man. He's not thinking that he's going back. He's just hoping that God's glory is restored to Jerusalem. And at this point, Jerusalem's in ruins and there is no Jerusalem at this point. It's, it's a wild land. Um, the 70 years are described in other places as being as correlating with the fact that they never kept the jubilee sabbath so to remember to understand the 70 years and the concept of the weeks okay because we have the 69 and then the 70 weeks of daniel so mm-hmm. in order to understand that we have to go back to jubilee okay so in jubilee jesus or god I just love talking about Jesus, so his mouth, his name's always coming out of my mouth. Anyway, God has told Jer- uh, Joshua as they're getting ready to enter the promised land, he says, now guys, every seven days you're to take a rest, and every seven years you're supposed to give the land a rest, and that's uh, followed by every seven seven year spans so seven times seven is 49 years okay Mm -hmm. so every seven years they're supposed to give the land a rest and then after seven seven year spans they're to enter into the jubilee where everyone returns to their home where all debts are canceled where slaves are set free where the land is restored 
and rested and they wait on God to provide for them for the next three years while they become back, they get back into the rhythm of things. And they were to keep these Jubilee Sabbaths endlessly. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. And the reason we know they didn't is because scripture tells us that they didn't and that God is making them pay back the 70 years. So the 70 years is a year for every Jubilee they missed. Mm -hmm. So every Jubilee they failed to keep and then is a year that they're owed, that, that they're in captivity. So that's the 70 years. So God's timing is perfect. And the idea of weeks then is this um, is is the celebration of the jubilee. So when it when he talks about turn in terms of weeks, he's got there there are like sixty nine weeks or sixty nine forty nine year periods, mm-hmm. and then because it's a week of seven year spans, in other words, seven times the seven year, it's a little. It's a little complicated, but it makes sense. So he talks about it. So in this case, he's referring to the weeks as a week as one set of seven seven year spans, mm-hmm. 49 years. Okay. okay. So 69 weeks is 69, 49 year spans. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. Next thing we've got to look at then is what happens now that that uh, Daniel has prayed his prayer, he is visited by Gabriel. And Gabriel speaks to him essentially what's on the mind of God. So would you read that? That will be um, verses 20 uh, to 23 and then 24 to 27 is his actual prophecy that, that Gabriel gives. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have come, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. No one understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens, and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay. So, you know, math has never been one of my strong suits, and yet I'm, I'm good at practical math. But, you know, 
basically what you're hearing then is Gabriel is telling exactly how many days it will be from uh, he's, he's giving a precise date when the Messiah will be revealed as the king. Okay. So it's trigger event. The timing that Gabriel just described, the trigger event is when the reconstruction of Jerusalem begins. Mm -hmm. Now, what we find out is, is that, that Ezra attempted to rebuild the temple. And a lot of people just, this is just a little trivia thing here, but a lot of people say, well, there were, what, there's going to be three temples. There was the original temple of Solomon that got destroyed, and then there was the temple of Herod that Jesus saw, and that was destroyed, and then there will be a third temple as described in the book of Revelation. But there was actually a fourth temple. Well, not a fourth, but a, it would be the second temple. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So it was actually, because Ezra was trying to rebuild the temple, and so he had more or less rebuilt the temple, he just couldn't take, he couldn't keep possession of it. And it's because the walls of the city were not rebuilt, and the city itself was not rebuilt, and so he was constantly being harassed by the, the, uh, the scavengers and sort of savages that had taken possession of the land when it was abandoned. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like one of these post-apocalyptic games or, or movies, you know, the 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 big city's been completely abandoned and living in the ruins are some pretty creepy characters, mm -hmm. you know. And so that's the idea. And these creepy characters in the ruins have been the ruination of of Ezra's plans. And so it isn't until um that the time when um uh <laughs> I just his name's on the tip of my tongue and I just went blank. Na the uh uh Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Nehemiah is the one who actually causes the trigger event that Gabriel's referred to here because Nehemiah actually gets authorization to rebuild Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And it's when Nehemiah comes in and begins the reconstruction of Jerusalem that this timer starts. And this timer takes us all the way up to the revealing of the... Uh, Messiah. So let's see, you read that in, um, da -da -da -da. Uh, uh, where, where did it say the, uh, it, it was verse um, 925, chapter 9, verse 25, I think it says that it says, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be re rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. Okay. So that's a specific number of days. Mm -hmm. And what he's talking about, the anointed one that he's referring to then, is is Jesus, right? We know that. It's Christ. And when is he declared king there's only one time he would actually let people declare him king he would not refer to himself as king at any other time but there was one time when jesus said let them talk because even if they didn't talk the rocks themselves would shout it and that was when he made his triumphal entry into mm -hmm. jerusalem yeah so what gabriel has described is a span of days exactly between the time of the authorization of the rebuilding of Jerusalem mm -hmm. 
and the day when Jesus enters into the temple mm-hmm. as the Messiah, declared the king, the anointed one. So that's super ex- exact. That's that's incredibly accurate. That that's telling us that uh, that the Messiah or the king is going to show up on a precise timeline that Gabriel has described and it happens exactly as he has been told as as Gabriel has told it and the interesting thing is is Jesus must have been there (laughs) you know when Gabriel was you know he may have been the one that gave Gabriel the message he said well this is when I'm going to to make myself known so this is a really precise, and, and because this is sort of a 20,000-foot view, I'm not going to get into the hyper details, but I would really encourage people to do their research because there's a specific number of days, and it can be tracked down to where we, well, can, we can actually say. I was about to ask, is it days or weeks? Because the number I got was like 483. Days or weeks? It, That's what I'm asking because it just says seven sevens and 62 Well, sevens. remember, we're talking about 49 years. Yeah. Okay. So so it's seven sevens like seven times forty nine years. Right. Like seven sets of forty nine. Because it actually comes out to something like four thousand okay. something days. Okay. And what that's referring to? Not that it's like a big deal. I was just. Well, thinking. it's really fascinating because you can actually t- you can actually say that Jesus made his triumphal entry in uh, April of AD thirty two. I mean, that's, that's how precise it is. Okay. And, and, uh, uh, but here's the interesting thing is now Jesus told his friends, don't forget to read Daniel because Daniel tells you what's going to happen, uh, time-wise until the abomination of desolation. So what does he say about the 70th week? That's 927. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Okay. So what he is describing there, Gabriel is saying that from the time that Jesus is declared king, the triumphal entry, there will be a interval Mm -hmm. and this is this is what's referred to as a dispensational uh view okay Mm -hmm. meaning that because this is why we did revelation or excuse me this is why we did um the um uh rapture last week before we did daniel i i had a reason for doing rapture first then daniel so the interval that happens between the 69th week, which is when uh, Jesus makes his triumphal entry. That that marks the end, or, or you know, the end of that time space. So that ends the 69th week. But the 70th week doesn't start. But actually, you could do the math, <laughs> and you would find out that we're about due for a jubilee year this year in 2018 that we're actually due for a jubilee year and so all my student loans will be paid off i forgiven theoretically in theory theory, if if they would actually do jubilee (laughs) 
But what's interesting is, is that it gives a hint that maybe the 70th week is about to start, even now. But I don't want to go there because I swore I wasn't going to go into great, you know, but, but the math suggests mm-hmm. that Daniel's prophecy brings us to this point. I say Daniel's, but it's really Gabriel's prophecy to Daniel. And in the, dis- the part where I mentioned the dispensationalism is the part where what we're saying is, is that the church is sort of exempt in other words, they, that, that God has changed the rules for those who have put their faith in Jesus. And so there's a sort of a gap where, where there's no prophecy, nothing like that's really happening. Uh, and it is really just a countdown until the beginning of the, tribula- the Great Tribulation. And so right now we're running a countdown timer just like we did that led us from the time of the reconstruction of Jerusalem to the time of the triumphal entry. We're, we're running a countdown timer just like that for the time of the abomination of desolation. And Jesus said to his friends, guys, when you see that happen, don't hesitate. Don't even go downstairs to grab your coat get out of town right now. And, and so he's basically saying when the abomination of desolation happens, you're in deep trouble. And Gabriel says to Daniel, the guy who's going to cause the abomination of desolation to happen is a guy who strikes deals that are, uh, how did it describe him? The architect of, of a great deal with Israel, um, I'm trying to think of how that was worded exactly, but it's it's um, it's the idea that that this person who's going to make this abomination of desolation possible does so by uh, making you know brokering a peace deal basically, but then violating the deal himself. Um, so the impression that you get is that he's he's been able to set himself up as uh, a friend to Israel that is trying to protect Israel, but then he reneges on the deal. And one of the ways that he shows that he's not really all that concerned about Israel is that he puts this abomination of desolation into place. And we don't know what that is exactly, but you know, if you read the Left Behind books or whatever, it's almost as though he puts himself in a throne in the temple and says, I'm God. Mm-hmm. And people either believe he really is God or he's, they don't believe he's God. And, and that means there are terrible consequences for them. Mm-hmm. So when we get to Revelation next week, that's where it picks up, is this character that is often referred to as the Antichrist, mm-hmm. which is a misnomer because that's a term that suggests somebody who is the polar opposite of Christ. But it might be more accurate to say uh, that this is this is the person that could be mistaken for Christ, but at the heart of him is this antithesis or this non-Christ. Now we've right. been studying Job on Sunday mornings at church, and there is a sort of anti-God that Job's wife and his friends are talking about. Yeah, and Job keeps saying, "No, that's not him." 
that's not who God is. Mm -hmm. You guys are almost right, but that's not God because you, you come short of the way he really is and you miss the heart of, of the person uh, who, who is God. And so, so it's not like we haven't seen these sort of anti-gods in the Bible because they're there. So, you know, I actually think that the time frame might be more urgent to us in this generation than any yet. Obviously, every generation is a little closer than the last. But I'm just marveling at how all of this has come together in my ministry because I'm just not that clever. But there's such a correlation of everything that I've preached since I started at my new church last year. And, you know, starting with Jubilee mm -hmm. and all of this, everything that, that I've been led to present to the people has brought us around to this point where even you and I doing the Revelation Bible study together and it's all tying together. And mm -hmm. anybody who's been in church consistently and also listening to these podcasts and participating in the various Bible studies and things probably is beginning to figure out how all of this ties together. And it really does speak to future events mm -hmm. um, in a profound way. So, so this is pretty remarkable stuff. And... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm observing a computer glitch, <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm a little anxious right now. There we go. My screen went blank, and I thought, oh, no, you know, we've had all this really brilliant stuff, and then... So here's, this has nothing to yeah. do with Revelation. Bring us back just, in line. Well, no, it has nothing to do with Revelation, really. I mean, kind of, I guess, but not really. I'm just thinking that they they had a timeline... Like, the scholars in Jesus' time had a timeline in the book. Right. Saying, he's going to show up right about now. And they still were like, ah, no, 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 not the guy. Because they didn't see what they wanted to see. Mm -hmm. um, it was just really funny to me because they had it. Like, if it was down to the day, he's walking into the city, riding into the city, and they're still going... I mean, I know the book says it. Yeah. But, nah. Well, I just think that's really funny. And and I I you know don't make a habit of defending Jesus's critics. You understand. <laughs> but uh, one of the most unpopular things that I've ever said uh, in church is that I think that the Pharisees get way too much grief from Christians in particular. Because, because we just like lumping people into groups. And so, so it's like, you know, people who like President Obama, we just call them, you know, one thing. People who like President Trump, we call them one thing. And, you know, it is possible to be a good person and yet not be correct about certain things. And really, history's the only truth teller out there and it really just depends on how good a student of history you are because the people who provide you with the data aren't necessarily faithful mm -hmm. so the reality uh, that i'm driving at is is that you know you may have backed the wrong candidate you may have backed the right candidate but you probably won't know in your lifetime but those who follow you will recognize it and you could say the same thing about the way that they interpreted jesus in those days the pharisees definitely 
some of them were really hard on him. And Sadducees were a really rotten bunch. And uh, the, the hierarchy of Jerusalem was a particularly troublesome group because they were basically religious politicians. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, but there's rabbis out there who are Pharisees and and uh, they're just caring for their flocks and they're trying to protect their flocks from, from abominations and things. But anyway, and I remember saying once that something along those lines in the Bible study in a little country church and, well, I just got an earful. No, no, no. Pharisees are rotten, plain and simple. They're just rotten. And I thought, well, okay, people from your county are rotten, you know. Let's just say that and see how well that flies, you know. Uh, obviously, there are good and bad among all sects. Sects. I never have, I'm always have trouble saying that word, sect. Uh, but anyway, the, so coming back to this, they didn't, they didn't know mm -hmm. necessarily what we know so easily now. And honestly, a lot of the people listening to this, myself included, there was a time uh, before I'd studied this and, and learned from scholars who are really brilliant that I didn't know this. Mm -hmm. So it's there, but it doesn't necessarily mean that people are going to find it easily. You have to really think about what's being said, and you have to see the correlations. And from hindsight, it's a whole lot easier to tie it all together. Sure. You know, uh, I've hiked in the high mountains in my youth, and and uh, when you're down in the valleys amongst the trees and you're you're plying your way through the woods, you can't really tell your, where you're going and, and how you got here. You're just taking each obstacle as it comes. But then you get to a high meadow, and you rest, and you stop and look back where you came and all of a sudden, from the right altitude, you can see exactly the path you traveled. And suddenly you understand why you got to this one point that was harder than the others because you were going around a particular thing that you didn't even know was there to go around. Mm -hmm. and, and so it's like that. So I give them a little bit of a break because they didn't know what's pretty easy for us to know now. Relatively easy. But, but I think that the Apostle Paul is a crucial character and this is an understatement okay but he's a crucial character in the whole scheme of things because he's the pharisee he's the religious scholar he's the guy who has the superior education in these things mm -hmm. who says i was blind to all of this but when i opened my eyes and really looked at it it was all clear so paul's the he's the crucial person because he bridges the gap between the Christian future and the Jewish past. Mm -hmm. And he's the one that really ties all of that together. And he's the one that, that helps you understand the, the connections. Yeah. And so I think it's remarkable that, you know, it just, what's re really what's underlying everything we're saying is, is just the incredible strategic genius of God. <laughs> you know, that the Holy Spirit has strategically uh, functioned from beginning to end. And so that should be a great comfort to people because when you hear about these end times and you think about things like the the uh, uh, rapture of the church and so forth, you, you know, you got to see that God has a very perfectly organized strategic plan. And this is certainly another case of that. Mm hmm well, okay, so I, I wanted to do a 20,000-foot view of the 70 weeks. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we did that. So 
What do you think? Is there anything else we should say about that right now? Excuse me. Mm, I don't know. Okay. Well, that's all right. Not. See, I, you know, this last two weeks I've kind of caught you off guard because, I, you know, <laughs> I said, hey, I think we need to take a little diversion on this. And, and uh, so you're, you're going to have a lot more to add next week. Yep. Um, so, so I think right now I'm just going to call it, uh, 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 we're going to say Bible studies over for now. And um, really just want to thank everybody for participating and when we get ready to wrap here, one of the things I'd like to point out is uh, how much we appreciate your feedback. So uh, this portion of our Bible study ends, and then we'll take just a moment here to pause and catch our breath, and then we're going to look at some reader input, uh, listener input. <laughs> Our friend Jenny is as prolific as ever, <laughs> and uh, she has written us another uh, wonderful message on the Knowing God with Heart and Mind uh, Facebook page uh, group. And uh, Jenny, uh, I, I t I've, we've talked to her, you know, and and, uh, and she's she's really flattered by our compliments and things. But she'll tell you with great humility that she's just. She's just doing, you know, I, I asked her the other day, I said, I said, you know, uh, or I didn't ask her, I just told her, I said, you really, really are excellent at critical thinking. And she says, I don't even know what critical thinking is. I mean, what are you talking about? You know, and I said, well, it's, it's what you do. <laughs> you know, if I was going to describe critical thinking, I would describe what you do. And furthermore, you write critically. You know, it's one thing to do critical thinking, which is vitally important, mm -hmm. I think, for all people in all situations, whether we're talking about politics, whether you're talking about, you know, disciplining your children. I mean, take your pick. Critical thinking is really crucial to making good decisions about and informed decisions about things. Mm -hmm. But as it pertains to our Bible study, it's really essential because it gives us a way to interpret things uh, more skillfully and uh and but there's a real art to being able to write your critical thought and uh, jenny's really done a fine job of that um i'm really having trouble reading this um but what are you trying to tell me to say it the one you have pulled up you've read already oh this one's uh this one's i'm, I'm looking at the wrong one thank you <laughs> well, I'm glad you said something, because um, I would have sounded like a real dummy, huh? But but Jenny has uh, Jenny has said that she wanted to comment again, uh, first to thank us for the nice compliments, but um, she says she says uh, one of the interesting questions that came up in the podcast, which is last week, was about the Philadelphia Church. And why it will be the church that is raptured. And she said, I've been thinking about this question all afternoon. Uh, she says, there are three things that occurred to me. They kept the word of Jesus. They did, did not deny his name. And they persevered as Jesus commanded. That would have particular significance for the church 
right before the rapture. Yeah. So, so you know, I think what she's saying is, is that that uh, that right before the rapture, things are going to get pretty right. tense. <laughs> and so, if you're going to be like the Philadelphia Church, you're going to hold your course. You're not going to be, you know, you're not going to be persuaded. And you know, Jesus even said that. And it, he said, you know, there are going to be people who will come in my name. You you've got to know the difference. Mm-hmm. You, you've got to be able to hear my voice. And my sheep know my voice. And that's so crucial because it goes right back to the Job thing we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Is is Job is a is a sheep who knows his master's voice and his friends don't know him as well. Yeah. And that's why they've mistaken him. Um, but she she writes quite a lot here that's really good and she has written in parentheses, you can edit this as you share. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I just love uh I just love what she says that I, I really hate to uh uh, to edit it, she says, first, those who love Jesus, keep his word. The person who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. I will make myself real to him. That's great. John fourteen twenty one is her reference. Keeping Jesus's commandments is very important to him. It's like his love language. Mm-hmm. If I can use the illustration, it doesn't make him love us, but it's a wonderful way of expressing love to him. And the Philadelphia church does this. And it is right before the rapture. They would be doing this, if it was right before the rapture, they would do this in a very dark world. She says, secondly, they do not deny his name. I used to be confused by this until I learned that the name of God is equivalent to himself, to his reputation, his power, his authority. It's not merely using God's name as a cuss word. It's making void by thoughts or actions important aspects of who God really is. Hmm. That's really great. That's mm-hmm. a brilliant insight. The best example I heard of this is the Israelites asking, can God provide a table in the wilderness after he brought them out of Egypt by mighty signs and wonders and parted the Red Sea for them? The Philadelphia church has learned that God can provide a table not just in the wilderness, but in the presence of their enemies. They know his name is faithful and true. They understand what Paul was writing about when he said, And if we are his children, then we are his heirs too, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, sharing in his spiritual blessings of inheritance. If indeed we share in his sufferings so that we may also share in his glory. Romans 8, 16. Knowing this about trusting God while going through suffering would be key in the world before the rapture. Wow. Mm -hmm. And thirdly, They keep Jesus' commands of patient endurance. I had heard once that the Christian life can be thought of as a long walk in the same direction. This is what the Philadelphians are doing. They fall, but they keep getting up and facing the same direction toward Jesus. They have written the words of Jesus on their heart, and they are prepared to trust Jesus no matter what knowing that in all things they are more than conquerors through him who loves them. So, wow, Jenny, that's just incredible. 
uh, and she makes a reference to the Job series and mm -hmm. says that she can see the similarities, which mm -hmm. we just talked about. Yeah. So she's just pointed out what we just said that that uh, so she picked up on that the same as we did mm -hmm. that that Job is clearly a guy who has a more clear understanding of his relationship with God and who God is, and that's part of the reason that he's like a, a, a sort of a type of a Philadelphian Christian. So so Jenny, just what a terrific input, and so we're so thankful to you for uh, your wonderful comments and and of course you know we do get feedback in person uh, somebody at church this morning gave me some feedback on episode 19 uh where we were talking about where the re, where the euphrates fits into mm. this and <clears throat> and uh, a friend named donna was saying that she said well you know you might have to take into account that the land has changed significantly mm -hmm. because of the flood mm -hmm. and and that the river Euphrates could very well be like under a, a polar ice cap or something right now. So I thought it was a really great insight, but she's thinking globally about mm -hmm. these things, which is great. It's yes. more of the great critical thinking. So, uh, and thank you for telling me that in person, but it's really great when you put it on the Facebook. So, because <laughs> what I would love to see is a, is a continuing dialogue. Yes. So, and a special gift to our Facebook list, uh, Facebook members and our, our podcast listeners is uh, we've partnered at Shiloh United Methodist with Right Now Media, and we've actually put in a queue named for Shiloh United Methodist Church some studies that I've picked out for you, one about the book of Job, one about the book of Revelation. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do a little bit more with this than, than even what we're doing, then uh, look for that Right Now Media invitation that was sent to you if you're a member of Shiloh and we have your email address. If you would like to get on board with our Right Now Media and use this sort of Netflix of Christian teaching and family stuff, um, you can send us a message and we'll give you a link to it because we want to share this with anybody who listens to this podcast as well so that you can get even more study in depth and in person. This is the very concept of a virtual Bible study that we've been trying to, to, to create since the day I started doing this podcast three, yep. three or four years ago now. So, uh, Bethany, anything you want to say here before we wrap? Mm, no, thanks for the feedback, though, Jenny. It's awesome, as always. Yeah, yeah. And everyone else, too. Yep. Amen to that. Well, all right, folks, we want to thank you for your, your listening. Um, this is the Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast. It's a ministry of Shiloh United Methodist Church, and yours truly, Pastor Dan. You can learn more about Shiloh at shilohum.org. That's S-H-I-L-O-H-U-M dot org. And, of course, you can visit our Facebook group for the Knowing God with Heart and Mind podcast, and uh, you can find a link to that on the description for this podcast. For now, God bless you and goodbye.